Psalm 50. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and the way that the calendar worked out with our series on strong families. I'm actually preaching our Thanksgiving sermon after Thanksgiving. Is that okay? Will you all let me do that? Will that be all right? So we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. All right, Psalm 50. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for your servant, Bill Hovestrike, coming to start this work 65 years ago. Lord, thank you that there have been faithful people here ever since maintaining the work, continuing to preach the gospel. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here today. Lord, help us as we study your word, help us to have a better understanding of why we need to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage is an interesting passage. And when you look at the book of Psalms, I think something that that we forget is that there's more prophecy in the book of Psalms than in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. It's just full of prophecy. And the first part of this chapter is all about prophecy. But look at what it says in verse 14 again. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Now, how many of you are, are thankful that you have a God to be thankful to? And that you know who He is and that He has revealed Himself to you and He has revealed Himself to us. But look at what it says in verse 1. Why should we be thankful? The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. All right, so we know that God created the world and He called a people out of the world. Verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Now, what's that passage talking about? Well, someday soon the Lord is going to return and He's going to take every believer out of the world. The Bible says the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So if you're saved today, you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Anytime, it could happen before the end of this sermon, Jesus Christ could return, we would be taken out, and then God would begin dealing with the world. And that's what's being spoken of in this passage. This is God dealing with Israel, and the church has been removed. We know that because when you look at verse 2, it says, Out of Zion... The perfection of beauty, God hath shined. In Psalm 67, 1, it says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. When you see the face of Jesus Christ shining in the world, that is when He has returned and is dealing with the world in judgment. Now remember, if you saw the glory of Jesus Christ shining right now, it would kill you. Because no sin can stand in His presence. So what's happened is God has taken us out. The judgment seat of Christ has taken place in heaven. And that is where we as believers stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and we're judged based on what we have done as believers for Him. The work that we have done for Him. And then we are given rewards that we then give back to Him. That's what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. That takes place after the rapture of the church, after the believers are taken out. Look at the next verse, verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. 
a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. This is the judgment of the nations. When Jesus Christ comes back, he makes war with those nations that have treated Israel poorly during the tribulation period. Verse 4, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge. Now look at what it says, his people, that's Israel. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge, look at what it says, himself, Selah. Anytime you see that word Selah, those of you who have been at Grace Baptist Church for any period of time, you know this. When you see that word Selah in your Bible, that is not just, you might see a footnote in your Bible that says, when this was sung as a song, that's a rest. So a musical rest, and that's true. But whenever you see that word Selah, it's also describing the millennial rest. When Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning and judging his people righteously. More often than not, when you see Selah, there's going to be a reference to Jesus Christ, God himself, judging his people. And you see that right in the text. What does it say right before Selah? Read it out loud for me. God is judge himself. So this is a really important piece of information for you to understand your Bible. When you're reading the book of Psalms, you see that word Selah. Always look for a reference to the millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. So now he has described that. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he tells Israel some information. Look at the next verse. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to, uh, to have been continually before me. So they have continued their sacrifices. In Isaiah chapter 1, he is correcting them for not having made the sacrifices. Here, he's saying that they have been. Verse 9, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is what? Every beast of the forest is what? And then it says, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Isn't that wonderful? It all belongs to God. It's all his. Look at the next verse. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are what? Mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. I will eat the will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Then look at what it says. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Now, how many of you think that that verse took on just a little bit different meaning for you when you read the verses before? It's interesting, isn't it? So I want to talk to you about some things I'm thankful for today. Number one, I am thankful because my God needs nothing. I am thankful because my God needs nothing. So as your pastor, when I stand up to preach to you, there are times when I don't feel well, have a cold, don't feel well, or I'm in a bad mood, or maybe I'm discouraged, or maybe I'm tired, and preaching becomes difficult, and the result is that the sermon's not very good. And so you come to church and you're looking for, so you need to hear something from God and your preacher lets you down. That's going to happen. Do you know why? Because I need a lot of stuff. I need food. I need health. I need peace of mind. I need information to preach. I need clarity of thought. I need a voice. I need all of that. I need an audience. Uh, I need all of that. I need a Bible to preach from. I, I am a needy person. And so when you come here, you can expect human results because your preacher is a human. Does that make sense? 
When you go to the doctor, you can expect that your doctor will sometimes make mistakes. They're not infallible. When you go to and you buy a car, you're going to get a car. And sometimes the people that assembled it, they made some mistakes. Never at Honda. But other places, sometimes they make mistakes. Is that true? That's why you got to have a warranty. Isn't that interesting? You know that God doesn't need to give you a warranty. I love it. I am so thankful that my God needs nothing. Now, let me make another statement. Don't miss this. I am very thankful that my God needs nothing from me. He doesn't need anything from me. Isn't it wonderful? Do you ever have a friend, and one of the reasons you like that friend is because they're not needy? Right? They're just there. They're just a friend. They're not needy. That's a blessing. Have you ever had a friend that was really needy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As pastors, sometimes we have church members. Man, they never need anything from you. They're just a blessing. Other people, they just need stuff all the time. And it is interesting in ministry, the people that need the most leave the easiest. It's an interesting thought. It gets real quiet when I say stuff like that. Preachers aren't supposed to be honest from the pulpit. It's, it's really interesting how that happens. There are some folks that are just here. You're just, you're just a blessing. Others, people come and they just take, 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 take. And you know what? Keep coming. We'll just keep giving. We'll keep giving. That's what ministry is. We want you to be here. And we do hope that you grow past that needy stage to the place where you're a giver, where you're helping other people and not taking. But if that never happens... We're here to minister to you, and we're thankful that there are strong people around to pick up that slack. Amen? Amen. That was an anemic amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. We want to be a blessing to people. If you're here for the first time and you're needy, we want to help you. We want to help you. If you've been here for 30 years and you're still needy, I'm glad that you're here. We'll still help you. We really will. I promise. We really will. Sarcasm aside, we will try to be a blessing and a help to you. Isn't it wonderful that God never makes those distinctions? He doesn't. He doesn't need anything from me. Here's the issue. Have you ever felt like you couldn't measure up? You know, maybe you're on the football team and you knew that you just weren't good enough. It, it, it maybe you're, you know, you're trying to cook something. And you realize that your skill just isn't enough to make that turn out right. Whatever it is, you feel like you just can't measure up. Could be in school, could be in classes, you can't pass that test. All of us have reached the place where we were in a situation where we couldn't measure up. Would you all agree with that? And what does that make you do when you realize you can't be good enough? You try as hard as you may or might. You can't do it. That makes you want to stop, doesn't it? It makes you want to stop. Here's the blessing. God doesn't need anything from me. I don't have to measure up to anything. God just loves me. God wants me to come to Him. God wants me to be needy of Him. He needs nothing. I need everything. And God wants to supply all my needs. I am so thankful that I have a God that doesn't need anything from me. I've heard preachers say this. God needs you too. 
Have you ever heard a preacher say something like that? God's need, God needs you to do this. God needs you to do that. God doesn't need you to do anything. He wants you to do things. There's a big difference in that. Do you remember Esther? What did Mordecai say to Esther? Well, it could be that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, but if you don't do it, God will bring deliverance from somebody else. God doesn't need you, Esther. He's letting you participate in this. Amen? And so I am so thankful that according to this text, my God doesn't need anything from me. He is only gracious. Oh, man, that gives me such freedom. There's not a measuring bar. I don't have to be as good as some of you. I don't have to love as well as some of you. I don't have to serve as well as some of you. I just have to be the man that God created me to be and give him everything that I have. And do you know what that is? That's what God wants. He wants everything. He wants everything. And my everything might not be as much as yours, but I don't have to compare myself to you. And then God doesn't need anything So what I give him, what I give him is my sacrifice of praise. And we'll see that in a minute. So I'm thankful because God needs nothing. And then look at what it says. So back in verse 14, Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. You know, before I I get there, I want to... I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to go here just because of time. But I want you to see this. It's really interesting. Look at verse 11. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Now, I want you to think about something. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, and he condescended to tell people, I thirst. I thirst. Do you know that he didn't need to do that? He could have stopped it just like that. It is so, it is such an amazing picture of God's grace that he was willing to put himself in that place for you and for me. I'm thankful that I have a God who needs nothing. I'm thankful for that. Then number two, I'm thankful that I have a God that by his grace and mercy alone, I can call him when I'm in trouble. Verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And look at what he says. And call upon me in, thy, in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, we also have to get the doctrinal context. This is Jesus Christ talking to the nation of Israel about what's going to happen in the tribulation period. That day of trouble, the day of Jacob's trouble is that seven-year tribulation period. He says, call on me when you're in that day of trouble, and I will, what does it say? Call on me, and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. So that's for Israel, but for us, he also tells us to call on him. And I'm thankful that I have a God, listen, who needs nothing that I can call on. Have you ever owed somebody something? And then you needed something? And you were afraid to call on them because you already owed them? You ever been in that situation? Do you know that you can never be that way with God? God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from me. And yet he says, call on me. This is such an amazing thing. I have nothing to offer him that he needs. And yet he still says, call on me. It's not a bargain. It's not a give and take. It's I will help you when you're in trouble and that will bring glory to me. Why does it bring glory to him? Because we don't deserve it. 
if I had something he needed and he helped me, then that would be a quid pro quo. That would be I give something and he gives something. That's an exchange. That's not grace. Grace is when he gives something to us that we simply do not deserve and could not earn. And he gives it to us freely and happily and joyfully and lovingly. That's what God gives us. Man, I'm thankful for that. Have you ever been in trouble and had to call on God? I'm so glad that he's there. Look at the, look at the book of Jonah. Keep your place in Psalms. Go with me to Jonah chapter 2. This is an interesting thing. So you all know the account of Jonah. God wanted Jonah to go and preach the gospel in Nineveh. And Jonah hated those people because they'd been cruel to his people. And he didn't want to go and preach to them. So he got on a ship heading for Tarsus. And as that ship went, there's a, a storm came up. And it was an unusual storm. The, the seamen knew that it was an unusual storm. It wasn't supposed to be happening. And they knew that there was something supernatural about it. And Jonah told them it was him. They threw him in the water and the storm stopped. And Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Now, there's probably people in this room that don't believe that happened. Well, whatever. Jesus said it happened. I believe Jesus. He was around a long time before you. Now, look at what it says. Verse 2. Uh, look at verse 1. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. He heard me out of... The belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now, there are some that believe that Jonah actually died right here. And I think that's probably true. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Doesn't that sound horrible? Anybody here that you've got a real fear of drowning? Any of you? Nobody? No. Okay, me too. I'm with you guys over there. I don't want to drown. Then look at what it says. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I want to stop right there. Let's look at verse 8 again. They that forsake lying, or they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Lying vanities, lying nothingness, lying uh, uh, ideas that remove people from the only way of escape. Now listen, folks, the only hope for eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. If you're trusting in anything else, you're observing lying vanities and the only mercy that's available to you, you are rejecting. And by rejecting that, the only thing you can receive is the judgment of God. You can accept His judgment or you can accept His mercy. I suggest you accept His mercy. It's what He's offering. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. 
I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. How about that? Can you imagine what he looked like after that? You know, he's kind of yellow from the stuff in the belly of the whale. He's got, you know, partially digested seaweed hanging from an ear. And then he's got the fish's vomit all over him. And he walks into the city and says, repent. What do they do? They repented. It's just an interesting way to picture it. But now, the thing that I want you to see about this is what did Jonah do? Jonah quoted Psalm 50. When Jonah was in trouble, what did he rely on? The Word of God. He relied on the Word of God. And in his day of trouble, he called on the Lord, and the Lord heard him. Do you know what God wants to do for you when you're in trouble? God wants to help you. God wants to help you. And here's the thing that's so important. Go back with me to Psalm 50. I want you to see the way the verse says it. Verse 15, Psalm 50 and verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Your deliverance has to glorify God. So if you ask God to deliver you in a way that won't bring Him glory, don't expect Him to do it. Don't ask God to do something that would violate His word. Don't ask God to do something that would violate His holiness because He will not do that. How many of you know that God won't do anything that violates His holiness? So if you're in trouble, ask God to do something that aligns with His character, not something that would contradict His character. Does that make sense? What has God promised to do for you? Don't ask Him to do something that He hasn't promised you to do. Uh, I was thinking about the football game yesterday. I found myself in the football game yesterday praying that God would help Ohio State. How many of you, honestly, how many of you would say that you have caught yourself doing that? And then I realized, there's probably somebody that knows God better than praying for Michigan right now. Why would God answer my prayer over Michigan's prayer? I know that that's a stretch, that there would be somebody who's a Michigan fan that would, you know, be more holy than me, but it's It's possible. But seriously, I was literally, because honestly, Ohio State wasn't playing very well. I was, what is with JT Barrett? He can't hit a receiver. What in the world is wrong with him? We need to call unto God in our day of trouble. I really don't think that God cares whether or not JT Barrett Barrett hits the right receiver. I, I don't think he does. But I prayed it anyway. And God answered my prayer out of the depths, out of hell. God answered my prayer. It was just an amazing thing. I don't think he did. I don't think he cares. God cares more about us being holy than our sports teams. But I don't think that God got mad at me for praying at that time. You know, I was actually kind of impressed with myself that I thought to pray at that moment. It's because I get so worldly and carnal in those things. I'm yelling at the TV. Everybody else was gone. I'm yelling at the TV. My kids, when they were little, they'd say, Dad, why are you talking to the TV? They can't hear you. I don't know. Anybody else you're with me, you yell at the TV during the games and things, throw things at the TV and such as. It's an amazing thing. The things that we ask God for. And you know what God does? God teaches us His will by the way He answers our prayers. Have you ever prayed a prayer and you're glad God didn't answer it? That great theologian, Garth Brooks, wrote a song about that. Are you really thankful? What God does is He teaches us His will by the way He answers our prayer. 
Isn't that a blessing? And so if you're asking God to do something that doesn't bring him glory, he's not going to do that. But here's the good news. The things that bring him glory are good for you. And they're good for me. If it doesn't bring him glory, then it's not good for you. And it's not good for me. So I'm thankful that I have a God that I can call to in the time of trouble. I'm thankful that I have a God who doesn't need anything from me, who has asked me to call on him in the day of trouble. And then number three, I'm thankful that his grace and mercy brings glory to him. You see, I'm such a sinner that for God to save me, call me, and use me only brings glory to him. That is such a blessing. Did you know that God wants to use you? Did you know that God has a plan for your life? He doesn't need anything from you. And yet, He wants to give you a purpose that so far surpasses anything else in your life. That's what He wants to do for you. I'm thankful because God needs nothing. I'm thankful that by His grace and mercy alone, I can call on Him when I'm in trouble. And I'm thankful that His grace and mercy brings glory to Him. And then, I'll show you an amazing verse. All right? So... Drop down with me. We're in Psalm 50. And look at what it says. I I guess we need to read the other verses. Verse 16. But unto the wicked, God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? So this is Israel's covenant with them. Seeing thou, look at this. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. This is where you'll, you'll see people that judge God based on their morality. They'll condemn God because they don't like what he does or has done. They, they condemn him. And so, like Frank Turek said to Christopher Hutchins, or Christopher Hitchens, you have to climb up into God's lap so you can slap him in the face. They take the morality of God to judge God by. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And so God says, Look, if you're going to do that, don't take my covenant in your mouth. Don't use my words. Don't use my Bible. If you're going to disregard my words, don't take some of them. If you're not going to take all of them, then say none of them. And what do we end up with then? We we end up with anarchy because all law is God's law. All righteousness is God's righteousness and all truth is God's truth. And so when you reject that, you end up with a mishmash of error and truth that has nothing to do with God and only leads to destruction. And that is the world that we live in. All right. Look at verse 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentedst with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. Verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm so thankful that God's not like me. I am so thankful that God's not like me. Those people that are judging God, they think God is like him. They think God is like them. That's what they think. They think that they have a morality, that they have the ability to discern what's right and wrong, and they can judge God and tell God what he should do or what he shouldn't do. They think that they can command God while saying they don't believe in God. 
You know what God says? I will set these things in order. I will show you before your face what the truth is. That's what God says. I'm so thankful God's not like me because what God has done, and he says this, he's showing I have extended mercy to you. I have allowed you to behave this way and think this way. You've continued down this road. You've continued down this road. But everyone needs to understand something. There is a day of accounting. There is a day when God is going to set the things in order. Remember, people attack God because there's poverty in the world. How could a loving God allow there to be poverty in the world? Those are attacks against God. Well, in order for God to stop that, He has to judge all the sin in the world. And when He judges all the sin in the world, people don't have a chance. And so what has He done? He's extended mercy. He sent His preachers out into the world. He's given us His Word. He's given us creation. He's given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. He's given it all to us. I'm so glad God's not like me. Because I would have killed somebody this week. You know, holiday driving. Right? That one's dead. That one's dead. That one's gone. That one's out of here. I'm so glad God's not like me. Now look, I'm glad that God's sense of justice isn't mine. Because I would judge the wrong things. I would judge the wrong things. That's why I'm so thankful that He's holy, that He's righteous, that He's gracious, that He's merciful, that He is just. And I'm thankful that He's extended mercy to us. He's revealed Himself to us in such a way that we can know Him. What I love is the foundation of this passage, that He doesn't need anything. All that we have is simply grace. He doesn't need anything from us. And yet he loves us so much he was willing to enter into this world and die on the cross for us. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. You know, people attack Christianity because how could a loving God torture his own son on the cross? Because God is a trinity. And the Godhead chose together to redeem us. What a blessing that is. Can you imagine spitting on that sacrifice? Can you imagine? It doesn't make any sense. I'm glad God doesn't need anything from me. I'm glad God's told me, even though He doesn't need anything, to call on Him in the day of trouble. So it's simply perfect grace. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that by His mercy and grace, that what He does in mercy and grace brings Him glory. That every good thing He does for me brings Him glory. And everything that brings Him glory is good for me. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm really thankful that God's not like me. How many of you are thankful that God's not like you? Would you raise your hand? Thankful that He's not like you. Praise the Lord. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Him, He is a great God. And I can promise you this, His mercy is better than His judgment. And whether or not you believe in Him, you're going to experience either His mercy or His judgment. He loves you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done.